New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Our guest today reminds us that our unprocessed emotional wounds and the reactions that arise from them are what makes us go to war, blow up at our children, get hostile on the freeways, hit send on that email rant, walk out of meetings, argue with loved ones, and make short-sighted decisions. None of us can avoid getting emotionally reactive or defensive or overwhelmed when it comes to relating with others. The hurts and disappointments that we suffered in childhood often leave lasting scars with respect to our inner sense of safety and security. They show up later in our adult relationships in the form of trigger reactions. However, these insecurities are not necessarily a bad thing. Dr. Susan Campbell describes the ultimate goal of inner work is to make effective decisions that come from the higher brain versus the knee-jerk tendencies of our primitive lizard brain. She encourages and teaches that a better plan is to see how reactive incidents can help us understand the deeper layers of our own conditioned mind. And this is the subject we'll be exploring today with our guest, Dr. Susan Campbell. Susan Campbell is a clinical psychologist and the author of close to a dozen books on relationships and conflict resolution. She leads seminars internationally and is a couples therapist, relationship coach, trainer of professional coaches, and works with private clients through her relationship coaching practice. She's the author of Getting Real and Saying What's Real, and most recently, From Triggered to Tranquil, How Self-Compassion and Mindful Presence can transform relationship conflicts and heal childhood wounds. Join us for the next hour as we look at our triggers and trauma responses as portals to growth and self-compassion with our guest, Dr. Susan Campbell. I'm speaking with Dr. Campbell from her home by remote connection. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Susan, welcome once more to New Dimensions. Thank you, Justine. I'm delighted to be here with you. 
I'm delighted to have you. I would like to begin with going back a ways in how and when you first discovered or became aware of the importance of our personal triggers um, or our emotional responses and reactions when relating to others. Well, I've been a couples counselor for almost 55 years, and so my sophistication about trigger reactions came from watching couples once they get upset or think their partner is upset, they generally start to argue or correct each other or try to be understood and things go downhill. It's like going into a hole that you just can't dig yourself out of. And so I realized that I was always like stopping couples. I mean, I just instinctively, before I even learned about triggers, I mean, I've been teaching this since the 80s, but I've been working since the 60s. So I didn't really have that concept right away, but I knew that it wasn't good a good thing for people to keep talking over each other and trying to be understood. Their heart is in the right place. They're trying so hard to be understood, but their nervous systems are in a reactive, I'm not safe, you're the enemy, that kind of, a, their, their nervous systems are in that mode and no good communication can come when you're not safe and you're thinking your partner is a foe instead of a friend. So at first I noticed myself just asking people to pause and calm down and get back into the present moment and that sort of thing. But after a while, I, I realized there was there was more than just calming your nervous system and listening better. But that's how I got started inter interested in triggers is through couples counseling, because that's what every couple needs to learn to deal with. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I, I wish that I had had this this when I was around with my partner, Michael, mm -hmm. because, I, boy, we we sure had some knockdown, drag-out fights that really didn't didn't resolve anything. So, um, and we even went to a couples counseling at, at one point, and it didn't touch this subject, really. Yeah. That's why I'm sitting here with you today, because I feel like you really have a key to how we truly can be with one another in more effective ways. And I know that you have five steps of trigger work. And you say step one is admitting and accepting <laughs> your insecurities or your triggers or whatever. So please tell us why that's important. So often when we lose it, oh, let's call it lose it, when you lose connection with your best self, we feel bad about ourselves. And it's hard to accept that. It's hard to accept that we just said a bunch of things that we regret or um, we overreacted to some, to some perceived slight. And then later we realize, oh, that was a misunderstanding. So it, it's like our, our, our egos want to see us as Good people who always communicate from a conscious place. But the, the truth is, all of us humans have this other part of our brain that we didn't ask to have this part of our brain 
it's called the survival alarm system, and it's in the amygdala area of the brain. And I'm telling people this right now to help us accept that everybody's got this reactive brain part that acts very, very quickly as if a tiger just jumped out in this room where you're trying to be understood by your partner, let's say. So um, everything happens real fast when you're coming from that part of the brain. And you don't think, you just react in a way like a cornered animal or like a deer in the headlights. So you, either, you either act act out or you shut down. And so those those kind of primitive responses People, it's hard for people to admit that they have those, but maybe it'll help our listeners if you know that everybody's got this part of their brain. And if we can accept this and understand it a little bit better, we can master our automatic reactions or at least more quickly come back to being centered and conscious and aware of what we really want to say, what our real feelings are, instead of you always, you never, and kind of those defensive things. So um, acceptance is very, very hard. So I put a whole chapter in the book about about that. And um, it is actually the hardest step, Justine, for people. Even though they've learned, I've worked with some couples for several years, and even though they've learned all the other five steps to trigger work, they still regress back into, no, who got triggered first? Oh, you know, no, it was really you. No, you got triggered first. And I wouldn't have got triggered if you hadn't have said that. So it's it's like the work of acceptance is an ongoing thing. It isn't just step one, check that off. You'll, you'll find it, um, it, it hurts our pride. But isn't that one of the things that we're trying to evolve beyond anyway? <laughs> and exactly. trigger work really helps us with uh, the a- ego defenses. And I'm, I'm thinking uh, when we're in that reactive state, that our body is even getting flooded with with certain hormones and neurochemicals. I mean, it, it really is visceral in our body. It is. Yeah, there's adrenaline and cortisol and all these things that hype us up, get us ready to go into action, go into battle. So it's a force to be reckoned with, this thing called trigger reactions. And we I, I call it like a runaway freight train. And so... Let's be gentle with ourselves and not expect ourselves to immediately go, oh, accept it. So sure, everybody gets triggered. I can do that. It, it'll, it'll be a little more work, but it is possible. I know, Susan, one of the things that you advise is for us to recognize our trigger signature mm-hmm. Or signatures, it might be more than one one signature, but uh, tell us, what does that entail? We know we get triggered. That's step one, acceptance. The next step is getting more onto yourself. Like, what are the early warning signs that tell me that I'm just starting to get triggered so I don't let that runaway freight train keep running? What are the early warning signs? Things like a story playing in my head, such as she doesn't respect me or he never listens to me, or a body sensation that has you want to run out of the room, that kind of thing, or a feeling 
know, just a feeling of, of anger. Anger is one of our biggest parts of our trigger signature. You know, I didn't like it when you said that. But deep down under all of those things, there's some kind of fear. And so knowing that there's maybe a fear of abandonment, fear of rejection, fear that I'm not good enough, fear that I'm not being loved. Those, those are the, the things that are right under the tight chest and the wanting to um, run out of the room. They're basically fears. So you're saying that as soon as we notice some sort of physical reaction to what maybe our partner is saying or whatever the situation is showing us, that we kind of catch that early on. Any advice of how to, uh, to catch that? Yeah, I have some exercises in the book where I ask you to remember times when you were triggered, like, okay, go back to the scene. What did your body do? Like, what was that physical sensation? What was the emotional tone? And what was the story that played in your head? That was the thing like, you know, I'm not lovable. I'm, I'm being rejected. So sometimes it's words. Sometimes it's body sensations. Sometimes it's emotions. But it's one of those three. Okay. I, I want you to go more fully into that in just one moment. But I want to remind our listeners, I'm here with Dr. Susan Campbell. She's a clinical psychologist author of many books, and her latest is From Triggered to Tranquil, How Self-Compassion and Mindful Presence Can Transform Relationship Conflicts and Heal Early Childhood Wounds. And if you want to know more about her work and her program, you can go to her website, susancampbell.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Susan Campbell, author of From Triggered to Tranquil. And Susan, we were talking about how can we catch ourselves before we're boarding that runaway train with our reactivity? So prepare ourselves to catch ourselves by remembering five or ten different times when you were triggered and doing a little exercise. What did I feel? What did I think? And what was going on in my body? And if you can kind of bring yourself back to that and remember that, 
a few different times, like doing an exercise, you know, five or 10 times can really help you go, oh, almost all of these different times, anger came up first, that type of thing. Or almost all of these times, I got frozen. I just felt like deer in the headlights. So pretty soon, you'll be able to go, oh, I'm angry. I must be triggered. I better be more aware now of what I really am feeling because I'm going to be going on automatic. I'm going to go on automatic offense or defense or shutdown. See, those are the main things that happen when you're triggered. Offense, defense, or shutdown. And an example, I did this as I was reading your book. I, I kind of went back to my childhood and looked for a signature and being one of four siblings who were not always very adequately supervised, and I was the third kid, and, you know, overwhelmed by an older brother and sister, you know, and I realized a couple of signatures that I have. One is feeling left mm -hmm. out, yeah. you know, being ignored, and secondly, not being smart enough, you know, because cognitively I was different from them and they were more cognitively developed because they were older. But I realize that now. But so uh, what I would do is I would disappear. Then I would just sort of go into uh, shutdown, shutdown. I would just shut down and be quiet and and in fact, my nickname was Mouse. I would turn into a little mouse, you know, and just sort of hide. Is that kind of an example of going back to maybe early stuff that gets triggered even as an adult? Well, what the trigger signature exercise is, it's really an exercise about adult trigger reactions. But it's very natural while you're doing that exercise uh, you know, like a week ago, my partner told me he was go he was going on a ski trip with his buddies, you know, the day before he was leaving, and, you know, that triggered me. Okay, I start to remember that, and my mind immediately goes to, wow, uh, not that different from when my mom and dad took my brothers on vacation and left me home with my grandmother. You know, it's sort of, it's, they link together just naturally once your mind starts to do these trigger signature exercises. And then I know that you talk at length about pausing and um, self-soothing. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so uh, to once we catch ourselves... And, and understand, oh, I, I really reacted to that, and it, it was not effective. It didn't get me what I wanted in the relationship or in the moment. So what um, talk about that pausing and self-soothing. Well, once you can admit that you do get triggered, you're going to be able to see the early warning signs more quickly, you know, and that's knowing your trigger signature, and then... At the first sign of the adrenaline coming up and you just start, starting to feel heated or whatever your trigger signature is, at the first sign, you have a practice where you start to pause. You let, you let yourself take some time to reconnect with the fact that here and now, I am safe. 
okay, what's that look on my partner's face that I'm interpreting as unfriendly or dangerous? But you get to sit with that and go, oh, let me, let, let me remember, we've been through this dozens of times, and that's just the look that, that he gets when he's scared. He's not really against me. So you can kind of start when you pause, you can start to think straight, but you also need to literally calm your nervous system with slow conscious breathing, with feeling your feet on the ground, your butt on the chair. So there's some practices that you need to do. Once you've said, whoops, I'm starting to go on automatic, I better pause. Then the pause consists of self calming through breath practices and grounding practices. And only then do you bring back the feeling that you were having or the story like I'm being rejected. Only then, once you've got your nervous system calm, do you bring back that reactive feeling because that reactive feeling is a very tender part of you that has probably been rejected or pushed out you don't want to listen to that part because that part makes you feel weak or dependent or incompetent. So we reject parts of ourselves and, and because they're vulnerable. So when we pause and we start to feel what our immediate reaction was, which might have been anger, now that I'm safe, I can drop beneath the anger. I can go, oh, wait, this is feeling very, very similar to when I watched my father, the way he talked to my mother, and it seemed like he didn't respect her to my little eyes. And you, you might remember hurtful or painful memories, or you might not remember anything, but you just have this feeling that's underneath the anger of something's not right in my world. You might just have that and bring some tenderness. So what what I teach people to do in these different exercises in the book is basically to treat whatever the painful thought, feeling, or sensation is, and it's maybe just a contraction, not even fully formed pain, but it's uncomfortable to treat that as a part of you that needs compassion, tenderness, and love. And as you just kind of relax and be with whatever that is, and it can be be with the anger or be with the thought I'm being rejected. Just the idea of being with is kind of new to a lot of people, but it, it basically means having that, having that thought or feeling like I'm being rejected or um, I'm feeling sad or angry. Being with that by giving yourself more breath. So some of the exercises kind of teach you what, what being with is or holding space is. But it's basically opening up your breathing, opening up your attention once you've calmed your nervous system. And you become a more spacious presence. And then you have this kind of trusting attitude and curious attitude. Oh, the words... Here we go again, it's playing in my mind. Here we go again, we're fighting and I'm gonna lose or what, whatever that is playing in your mind. You just hold that with curiosity and with that 
open, breathing space, and new things will occur that have to do with this story or this painful sensation, like early childhood memories, or like the impulse to run and hide or curl up in a ball. Whatever follows your beginning to just hold that hurt, sad place, what, you know, whatever you start with, if you just breathe and pay attention. See, most people don't want to pay attention to something painful. They want to change the subject or what do I do about this? Everybody wants to do something. What do I do with this feeling? What you do with it is you be with it. And that does sound a little mysterious, but if you, okay, I'm just going to sit here and have it. So that's another way. I'm going to have it. And I'm going to bring a bit of a witness consciousness, because as you breathe and bring more space, you're actually bringing more awareness to different um, impulses, feelings, thoughts, memories that, that might be ready to come up from your subconscious, from your unconscious, things that have been repressed or put out of your conscious mind because they were painful. You have this attitude of open space new parts of yourself are going to come in and go, hello, you've forgotten about me, you've rejected me, but here I am. And very often they are painful memories. And I counsel people to just hold that memory or that thought or that feeling as if it was a much-loved child. You know, I, Susan, I know some of the suggestions you have at this point uh, when you're bringing up these and allowing these painful memories to come up. You talk about uh, like being an archetypal good mother to yourself. And you actually, what I loved about what you were, the suggestions you were giving is at this point, um, physically, you, you, could, you could hug yourself or physically you can kind of rock like a good mother would rock a baby, you know, and to soothe a baby or, or you might count one, two, three or, or say a mantra or whatever. But you give these suggestions in this particular part of the process that you're really compassionate with yourself as you allow these painful um, thoughts to, to, to come to consciousness. Yes, and it takes, uh, for, takes some people a little longer than others to tap into self-compassion because some people do have like, well, that's the part that gets me into trouble. It ruins my relationships. So that's why I'm so lonely and so forth. So that is kind of hard for some of us. But just even noticing that it's hard for you, once you activate that noticer a little bit more, you're not so identified with that's the part that gets me into trouble. You, it's like you're watching somebody abuse their child, like, you know, rejecting their child, and you're going you're gonna to feel sad. It's because you've begun to develop your noticer or your witness that gets you able to oh, okay, I don't have compassion for myself, but I notice that I don't, and I feel sad about that fact. And that's, that's like one baby step toward actually going, oh, 
And now I can feel a little more compassion because I, I just softened there around that. So a lot of this work has to do with noticing that there's some resistance because there's we, usually we have resistance to pain, even emotional pain. Yes, all of us pretty much. But we can soften that resistance once we get a, a little more trust in the natural healing energies of life because life wants us to heal and it wants uh, these things to come up. I'm here with Dr. Susan Campbell, and she is the author of From Trigger to Tranquil, How Self-Compassion and Mindful Presence Can Transform Relationship Conflicts and Heal Childhood Wounds. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Susan Campbell, a clinical psychologist and author of From Trigger to Tranquil, as well as many, many, many other books on relationships and conflict of resolution. Susan, you said earlier, something that you said that kind of popped for me, you said, if you notice on the face of your partner some sort of reaction, uh, something going on, and you interpret that, oh, here we go again, or whatever it is you say to yourself, you say it's important to also know your partner's triggers. That's right. So, uh, so if you could say something about that. Well, couples often get this book and work with it together, and I recommend people do the trigger signature exercise and share their results so that my partner tells me, oh, when, when I'm triggered, I'm usually making up the story that you're judging me or you're telling me I did something wrong. Okay, so that's, that's, that's my partner. And um, when I see a certain look on his face, I am, I generally make up the story. He didn't like something I did, so I must be bad or wrong in some way. And so we, you know, we share the early warning signs that each of us have. And then I, I can more easily kind of relax and go, oh, oh, he's, he's triggered. And maybe if he's triggered, I'm getting triggered. See, this is the phenomenon of co-triggering. It's time to pause. So it's very useful for couples to share whatever they know about their own reactivity and what it looks like and what's the fear underneath it. And the fear underneath it is what you get to after you've calmed and done the self-compassion, then you come back and say, honey, I'm sorry, I'm, so I'm sorry I walked out on you when you were talking. I was triggered. That was probably my old fear of thinking I did something bad or wrong coming up. 
And what I was really feeling was a fear that you're upset with me and disconnected. So you, that's the repair part after. But before we get to that, that you're, you're saying that couples can have cycles of co-triggering. That's right. And I'm just wondering, Susan, what is the difference between co-triggering and these cycles that we get into as, as couples and being an enabler as we enable one another? Uh, is there, what is the difference? Well, I, I don't connect those two, Justine, but let me, let me say what I, what I think. When people get into a cycle of, of co-triggering, it would be, I question you and you hide or get defensive. And then the more you hide or get defensive, the more I question you. So that's a whole other part of, that's a couple's trigger signature, this thing we call the reactive cycle. That's a little different than an individual's trigger, which is I'm being rejected, I'm, I'm being seen as bad or wrong, that sort of thing. So it's good for couples to also know what we call the reactive cycle. So if I see my partner withdrawing and clamming up and me still pursuing to get the truth or whatever, that's like, whoa, bingo. Hey, I think we're in a trigger. I think we better pause. So that's enabling. Enabling, in my mind, I'm, I'm not sure how you're using that word. So, But for me, it's, it's not related. It's not relating. Uh, so tell me, uh, Susan, when uh, we are saying, okay, I'm saying for myself to pause, but you can... You can have agreement. You talk about making an agreement with your partner about pausing. And tell us about what that entails. Yeah, once, once couples realize that no good ever comes from continuing to talk when you're triggered or when you're in that reactive cycle, yes, you did, no, I didn't type of thing, uh, we, we agree. No good comes from this. So first we have a pause agreement where we will both pause at the first sign of triggering, either in ourselves or if I see something in my partner that he's already told me that that's one of his trigger signatures. Either one can say the word pause and we will both stop what we're doing entirely. We won't try to get that parting shot in. We'll realize, yes, we need a practice to help us get out of this right-wrong mentality, got to have the last word, got to be understood. See, that's, again, the, the normal human ego that we kind of get caught in. But you know where that comes from? That comes from faulty learning in our childhood that certain interpersonal situations weren't safe. And, in, you know, in some cases, there weren't, they weren't safe then, and we've brought that faulty learning into our present relationship. And most of the time, our reactions are based on some kind of self-protection that we really don't even need. We'd be much better off if we just said, I'm afraid you're angry at me right now. Are you? <laughs> Simple things like that. When you're not triggered, you can still have fear. You could even still have anger. But you're not reacting from that automatic Got to, got to get it right. You know, got to have the last word place. 
So it's asking for reassuring words, not putting words in their mouth or saying accusatory languaging. Let's let's just talk about non-controlling language. Yes. Yeah. So once you've paused and done, done your inner self-compassion, and this is just for people who are in relationship. I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff in the book for people who are not in relationship, just you know, doing your own pause and self-calming and that sort of thing. But right now we're talking about the couple relationship is kind of the ideal place to work on your triggers. So you've paused, you've self-calmed, you've done the inner inquiry, and you've had this pause agreement. See, that, that's where we were, were a minute ago, where either one who says pause, we both go into that inner inquiry. And then when we're both ready and the timing of that, uh, I won't talk about how you figure that out right now, but the couple decides that together, you know, how long do we need to pause? So you get back together afterwards, and you don't tell the person what you, you know, like, I I need you from now on to, you know, never say this. You, you, you never do that in your repair. You can negotiate for wants after you've fully repaired a trigger. Um, this is another big mistake couples make is they, as soon as they come back to repair, they start explaining themselves again and, and giving advice, you know, here's how to get along with me better and all you have to remember is this. Uh, that's not what we want to be doing in this very vulnerable and deep work. This is deep couples work. So you want to be able to reveal something deep and vulnerable that the other person will feel safe hearing. So it would look like this. I need your help to feel that I'm enough for you, or I need your help to feel that I'm lovable. But you don't say, you know, to make me feel more loved, you, you know, you have to gaze into my eyes when you're talking. So the key there is, I, I need your help. I need your to, to feel. So it's like, I need your help because I'm working on this this deficit in my own development. I'm having a hard time myself feeling like I'm uh, enough. That's one of the big ones, yeah. feeling I'm enough. Yeah. So yeah. I need your help to feel I'm enough. And that in and of, of itself is a good repair because you're just owning that. I got my not enough button pushed a minute ago and I reacted and what I really needed when I was reacting, I was unconscious. Now that I'm conscious again, what I really needed was I need your help to feel I'm enough. So I give people scripts and, and I give people ways to find the words because these words are not the normal words that people use with each other. Right, and I know that you really suggest to really, at first, follow that script yeah. um, pretty carefully because they are, you've really put a lot of thought into what truly works and, and is effective. And we've been talking about couples, one-on-one -on -one relationships, but this is also really, really fine, mm. fine work for group, because if we're in a group, let's say a work group or a circle work or whatever kind of group we're in, um, 
it really brings up some childhood uh, dynamics uh, that get triggered. And, and we can't often say anything in a group. I mean, we may not have permission to, to work it out with another individual. So I'd love for you to talk about working in a group. Yeah, so there are many different um, cultures where a group will be. So if it's a work culture, people probably are not going to pause and do the self-inquiry right in the middle of a business meeting. But somebody could realize I'm triggered and I'm sitting here in the middle of a business meeting and I'm going to self-calm and I'm going to notice, oh, I wasn't listened to a minute ago and now I'm just clamming up and not participating. I mean, how many people have felt that in a group? You know, I okay, you don't want to hear from me and I'm kind of hurt and wounded, so I'll just sit here and be quiet. So why, while you're sitting there and being quiet, would you do some self-soothing and some breathing and some witnessing of this part of you that feels left out? Like you said, you know, if you're the middle child or something like that. So you can do this, this work and you can learn to, to do things very, very quickly. I've, I've taught um, trial lawyers to, in workshop setting, outside the courtroom, to soothe the, the little the little boy who somebody just told you to shut up when the judge told you you couldn't talk anymore, you know, to soothe that little boy in, in like two or three seconds. So you can learn these practices to soothe yourself and come back to being present in a business meeting right away. And that's where if we do this, uh, like... I know my tendency would just to be shut down. Okay, I'm taking my marbles and going home. I'm 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 finished. You you don't want to hear from me. I'll just I'll just zip it up. Then that's not in our self awareness. We are are advised to show up, <laughs> and we have wisdom to bring to the group. So if we if we do that self soothing internally, then that offers the opportunity for us to share our wisdom with the group. We don't check out completely. So we'll, we'll talk more about that and other things in just one moment. I'm here with Dr. Susan Campbell. Her latest book is From Trigger to Tranquil. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, susiecampbell.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Dr. Susan Campbell, and we're talking about triggers and traumas as portals to growth and, and better relationships to take us out of that reactivity into a more considered uh, response. And there's something that you had at the end of the book, which was about honesty salons and I I loved it when we are in circle let's say and and people are going on and on and on and and they're not talking about from their experience you have a couple of suggestions as to what one might do and I want to tell a story I want to tell a story about a circle that I was part of that were men and women together and we were talking about misogyny and feminism and masculinity and and femininity and all of that. And the facilitator gave us all handkerchiefs. One was red and one was white. And as people were speaking, if we were being triggered, I don't think she used that word, but I understand it now, as if we're being triggered by what is being said, we might just put the red handkerchief out in front of us. It doesn't interrupt the flow of the group, but it just is something that happens. And if we are feeling really in agreement with what is being said and we're we're inspired by what is being said, we put a white handkerchief out. And this is kind of a weather report of the group. Without interrupting, it gives a kind of flavor of what's going on in the group. So can you comment on that? Yes. Yeah, I have two chapters on um, using these tools in groups. And in my own groups, I have something similar to the red and white handkerchief device. It's the button. I have these little toy buttons. So people hold up a button if they're getting their button pushed. And, you know, I hand it out and I say, well, everybody's got buttons and we I give them a little rap about what that means when you're getting triggered. And so, you know, the the whole group can be going on, but some three or four people can be holding their toy button up. In Zoom groups, I have them hold up a pen. So that's a signal then that depends on what's going on, but I, as the facilitator, might say, okay, in this case... uh, do you want no do you want to pause and do you want to talk about your trigger after the pause you know shall we all pause together so I'll invite the person to say if they want to pause or sometimes it'll be so intense that it'll be obvious that many people in the group are triggered you know cuz two people have been going at it or something and so I'll I'll hold up my pen or I'll hold up my button depending on where the group is and I'll suggest if one person or two people are triggered in a group, it affects everyone's nervous system. We can actually kind of feel it. So let's experiment with that theory. I'm not trying to shove that down your throat, but see, okay, if we pause and notice what's been going on in you while those two have been arguing over there, and we'll do a little quick inquiry right, right while the group is going on, because my groups are personal development groups. And like the circle that you were talking about. Business groups, they can still ask for a pause. They can still, the the facilitator or the leader of the group can still say, uh, once in a while, things are going to get a little heated in here. 
And so I may call for a group pause. And usually it'll just be the facilitator that'll call for a pause if it's like a more of a businessy meeting. But in circles and group process kinds of settings, having an upfront agreement that we will pause together is very powerful. I love it that you you say if there are two or three people that are having a reaction that that really affects the whole group, even if it's if it's not overt or explicit, but it's kind of in the field. It's almost like this ghost in the field, a hungry ghost that is really uh, affecting the effectiveness of the group because everybody's kind of in their own triggered response. And I, I love it that I think in business meetings, I think we we really need this more and more. Also, I'd, I'd love for you to share, you say that this kind of work, um, the, as we work with our own emotional pain, how it helps us to, to know our own conditioned mind. It's really, really important to know where we're on automatic and we're just reacting, and where we can be different from that so that we get more effective in our associations? Well, the, the human development journey, the spiritual journey, is about getting free from our conditioned reactions, which are automatic ways that we've contracted around something, some kind of perceived danger based on, I call it faulty learning, but sometimes it's actual real trauma. A lot of times it's just my mom didn't, you know, didn't have time for me. She had too many babies, let's say, and I, and, and I felt like, well, I'm not loved. Um, that still, though, is some, some kind of wound. So um, most people... If there's emotional pain, I mean, there's going to be emotional pain around not getting all your needs met, like love and attention. You need to go back and visit the contracted energy around that and move that energy in order to heal. And that means putting some of that loving attention, like we were talking about before, just breathing and allowing memories to come and kind of flow. And once you get that energy, that old stuck energy of your conditioned reactions moving again. Maybe you cry, maybe you shake. So learning how to reconnect with the buried emotional pain is what emotional freedom really is about. We need to free ourselves from the old limitations. No, I thought it wasn't safe to this, I thought it wasn't safe to do that. So we're still carrying around those emotional protection patterns. And the work of trigger work is about the liberation of the self to get outside of your conditioning. But you have to know what it is and revisit it and bring some loving attention to those stuck places. And you, you, you will be healed, which means become more whole. More of the parts of yourself that you've denied now come back into your wholeness and and you have more options in life. You have more freedom. I, kn- I know that you talk in the book about parenting and about being um, really very 
compassionate towards yourself when you feel start to feel guilty about not being a great parent. And so there's that. But there's also another part of the book that you talk about um, what's going on in the world today, you know, where we're triggered by by certain things that are happening that we we feel distress and despair about and and so I'd love for you to to end with anything that you could say about how we can handle that and be better at that. Well, one of the things that's going on is this extreme polarization between people of different worldviews, the culture wars we could call it. And uh, I've I've done a couple of webinars, and they're on YouTube, called COVID Culture Wars, to vax or not to vax. And my purpose in doing these webinars was to bring some of these tools in the book about what to do when you're triggered by the world situation, because there's so many different crises now. So I had people listen to different statements True or false? Do you believe this? Do you believe that? And then I said, now, did anybody get triggered by any of those statements? So somebody got triggered by by one of the statements, which to him, and this is about the vaccine, and, and I, my statements were all pretty objective statements. They, they weren't emotionally loaded statements, things that almost anybody could agree with. So this man said, oh, I got triggered uh, by by this statement that seemed seemed to be because it's not the statement itself it's his interpretation of the statement seemed to be government overreach and on he one of his triggers is being controlled and he he got in touch with this somebody's telling me what to do somebody's limiting my freedom so i asked him okay just sit with the feeling that you're having and I guided him, and it was a very sensitive session. And, you know, he gave me permission to post it on YouTube, and he kind of liked it, He actually. He told his friends about it. But it brought him back to a, an early memory of him and his father, him being about eight years old, and his father would come home late at night, either, either drunk or just very self-centered. Uh, it wasn't clear which, but the father, like midnight or after midnight, he wakes his kid up and he... You know, the kid has to listen to the father harangue, you know, harangue him about something that's not even about the two of them. And he, he just went back to that memory of feeling so controlled and, and so trapped. And when he could give himself compassion for that, he came back with a much better feel for how to navigate the COVID culture wars, be able to ex- express himself without being triggered about it, but to express himself more effectively to people that disagreed with him. Oh, Susan, we could go on and on. So I want to encourage people to go to your website, uh, susancampbell.com, and and people can, I'm assuming, um, access these different videos and also all, all of the work that, that you do. Uh, I thank you so much for being with us. I've been here with Dr. Susan Campbell, author of From Triggered to Tranquil. And if you want to know about that, as I said, susancampbell.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions.
This is program number 3746. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.